This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5. I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest today is Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. You did a a column uh, not that many days ago about Veterans Day and the Veterans Parade. You attended the Veterans Day. Day Parade in Albany, I believe, and you said you found it a moving experience. How so? Well, I had never attended the Veterans Day Parade before in Albany, even though I've lived there for a long time, but I was home uh, with my son, so we walked over, and I don't know, most parades, you know, it's sort of more a celebratory Mm -hmm. type event, throwing candy off a fire truck, and this was much more a respectful kind of remembrance and there was a group I think I mentioned in that column carrying flags in remembrance of capital region soldiers since World War II who have died you know in in battle so I um I really appreciated that that display and the reminder of you know the lives from from here the capital region that have been lost in uh different wars and you made the point that uh we should remember the veterans every day Yes, we should. Uh, I don't think we do enough for veterans uh, to meet their needs when they return home from being overseas, if that's where they've been, uh, in foreign conflicts, if that's what they've done. Um, I don't think it gets enough attention. You know, some of the physical and um, mental traumas they return home with that they have to uh, deal with, cope, and try to, you know, try to treat and recover from. So I think that's something we should we should just think more about as a society. Our guest is Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. You did a, a column recently about the Niskayuna lockdown. Uh, students and parents were upset with a lengthy lockdown at Niskayuna High School, uh, did the officials there do the right thing? I think so. I think it's something that, in hindsight, it's easier to raise questions about. You know, in hindsight, you know that this was, you know, there was not really a bomb at the high school. So then becomes a question of, did it have to take so long? Should students have been given better permission, you know, permission to go to the restroom? Uh, you know, there were reports of students um, using garbage cans in their in their classroom, you know, I can definitely understand where those complaints are coming from, but I just feel with the, you know, the frequency with which we hear about, you know, mass shootings, uh, you know, the district, you know, it's, they're in a tough spot. They sort of have to do due diligence to make sure, you know, the threat is not, is not real. And, you know, I think there's probably room for improvement, but the basic, approach that they took of a a lockdown, making sure the building was safe. I think, you know, absolutely, that was probably what they had to do. Well, and also, you know, said there's some question if it was too long, but, you know, how long is too long, you know? Right. I mean, it's a a big school. I mean, Niskina High School is a big school. It might not take so long at a smaller school. (laughs) And you mentioned this in the column, and I remember this, too. It's certainly a lot different from when you were in school, even way back when I was in school, or when I was like first starting out in the media in the Vietnam War era, and there was talk of some, uh, you know, bomb threats, and there were some actual bombs then, but mm. it, it was much more, I don't know what, laid back. I mean, it didn't happen like every weekend. Right. I think, you know, times have changed a little bit. I mean, we do know that when you look at the big picture, 
you know, mass people will tell you that statistically speaking, mass shootings, terrorist attacks, you know, those are they're still not it's not they're not as common perhaps as people think they are, but we certainly hear far more reports of them than when I was in school and I think that has put schools and other institutions in the position of taking them far more seriously than they ever really had to, um, certainly not in the 80s and 90s when I was in school. You also did a, a column about mass shootings, uh, one that, that, that did happen, the, a terrible one at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, and then, of course, more recently was a bar in a uh, city in uh, California. Sure. Uh, after the... Um, Shooting at the synagogue, you spoke with a local rabbi, Matthew Cutler, Congregation uh, Gates of Heaven. And even though he discussed a rise in hate crimes, I believe you said he lifted your spirits. How so? I think it was sort of his broader take of uh, moving forward with the idea that you know, as a society, if we feel like there's a rise in hate, it's something that we can we can push back. Um, you know, if you're looking to, I guess, your local clergy for some sort of, not positive meaning in an event like that, but some sort of like, well, how do we approach this without becoming really depressed and down? Uh, you know, I feel like, you know, talking to Matthew Cutler, this rabbi, and his sort of I don't want to call it an upbeat attitude, but his ability to look forward and, you know, see that this is something that needs to be confronted, a rise in anti-Semitism, but that it's it's something that, you know, we can be done. And also kind of the notion that, you know, there's plenty of good people in the world. In fact, they may be the majority who, you know, are, are deeply disturbed by something like the shooting at the synagogue. So, you know, I feel like that's, an important message or trying to look ahead mm-hmm. toward how we can approach something like this with an eye toward, you know, defeating it. You know, that's a productive approach to take. And I believe at his synagogue and, and others uh, in, in the area, but at Gates of Heaven, they had a large gathering. I mean, that's, uh, people who probably hadn't been to a synagogue in, in years, uh, or <laughs> right. if ever. That could, right. That, that could well be the case, uh, you know, that attack, that mass shooting, you know, got a lot of attention, I think, troubled a lot of people. So these vigils and gatherings that took place afterwards, they were quite, you know, quite large. I mean, I believe they said it was the largest uh, sort of hate attack against um, the Jewish population in America, Mm -hmm. you know, in in history. So you do want to have a, you don't want to be complacent about what that might what that might mean. Mm. We're talking with Sarah Foss, a columnist for the Daily Gazette. Let's uh, switch over to politics. Let's uh, talk about what they've been calling the blue wave. Uh, statewide, there really was a blue wave uh, in the recent election with uh, Democrat Governor Andrew Cuomo at the top of the ticket winning handily. But uh, Cuomo did poorly in upstate New York, including the Capital District, with maybe the exception, not maybe, I believe was the exception of Albany County or at least Albany City. Uh, what's going on? You mean the difference in attitude between yeah. upstate, downstate? Well, you know, I think there you generally have sort of a, you know, a tale of two two places, basically, and a lot has been written about this, you know, downstate, sort of a thriving, huge metropolis, and upstate, more rural, the cities are 
they're suffering a little bit more than maybe in New York City. There's been that loss of population. People are still, you know, upset about the loss of the kind of manufacturing base that once supplied a lot of the jobs throughout upstate New York. And, you know, I think that is something that is on people's minds. I also feel that, you know, is Andrew Cuomo a personality that appeals um, to upstate residents as much as perhaps someone else might? I'm not convinced that he he's the greatest personality to kind of win over upstate residents, but he has not always been so unpopular. Mm. So I think at this point people are thinking, well, he's been in office for two terms. Has my life gotten that much better? You know, are things getting better up here? In a lot of areas, I think you might point to and say, well, not really. I don't know that they've always gotten Mm -hmm. worse, but there's certainly uh, plenty of need up here. And again, and I've heard this over the years, I've started to hear renewed talk about, well, we should split the state that, uh, you know, upstate and (laughs) downstate are so different, they can't exist together. Yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. And part of it is just a lot of our revenue comes from New York. It does, yes. You would need to completely revamp. Sure, there are small rural states uh, such as Vermont and New Hampshire. Upstate isn't quite like them because it has much bigger cities, Rochester, Buffalo. Even in Albany is, you know, a fairly large city compared to what you might find in some places. Um, Yeah, I think people aren't fully thinking over what New York City provides to the rest of the state in terms of taxes. But um, I can understand the frustrations people sometimes have Mm. with feeling like they're not well represented at, you know, where decisions are made in state government. Mm. You uh, did a column, I think it was before the election happened, where you advocated for making Election Day a holiday. What, what, What would be good about that? I think, well, I think I said that I just like the idea of it because I, you know, as a symbolic thing almost because voting, it's sort of the cornerstone of our democracy. Why not make Election Day a holiday? But practically speaking, there are some good reasons to do it. One of it would be perhaps it would increase uh, voter turnout. Um, And it doesn't have to be a holiday to do that. It could be on a weekend. And there are many other countries that have it as a holiday or, you know, voting on a weekend, and they tend to have higher higher turnout. So I like Election Day. I always vote, but, you know, it can be a challenge for people who are, who are busy, who are juggling lots of different things to, you know, to get out there. We were uh, end of the last uh, part of the program talking about the statewide election. What now? What do you expect from the new all-Democratic state legislature? One part of the blue wave in the state of New York was the Democrats now control the state legislature, uh, the, the state Senate, and they had all have, for as long as I can remember, controlled the state assembly, right, and there's right, a Democratic right. governor. So what, what's going to happen now? I think we'll see some movement on some initiatives that have been kicking around for a little while but haven't had support from the Senate when it was controlled by uh, the Republicans. You know, the Reproductive Health Act, which would strengthen abortion rights in uh, New York State, that will probably see some movement. The Child Victims Act, which would allow, it would sort of remove the statute of limitations for victims of child sexual abuse that they could 
could sue or make cases um, that could be brought to court. Um, you know, some of those things I think will will happen. It might happen this session. I think we'll see movement on legalizing marijuana, although I think the state was headed in that direction anyway. Now it might be easier to kind of create a legal, you know, a plan for legalizing marijuana than it would have been when the Republicans were in the Senate. I think people might be on the same page there more. So those are some of the basic things I think Mm -hmm. we'll see perhaps this session. Beyond that, it's hard to know exactly what will, um, you know, what will occur. You know, I think there's some hopes among good government groups for, you know, ethics reform, which, you know, people have been clamoring for for years without any movement. And I guess as a skeptic, I guess I'll wait and see yeah. that, you know, if, yeah. if, you know, changing the political party is really enough to get all these politicians to buy into the idea of sort of sweeping ethics reform, you know, in the state of New York. So, I, you know, I think it will be an interesting, an interesting session. Mm-hmm. Will uh, fighting corruption be uh, any kind of priority? And I guess my thought is it won't. But what do yeah, you think? Yeah, that's my thought. No, I don't know. I mean, maybe there will. Be, I don't think so. Uh, maybe there's some sort of simple measure they mm-hmm. could enact to try to placate um, people who think they should take ethical, you know, ethics reform more seriously. But until I see something uh, different, I think I'm just going to say, you know, these are politicians. They're self-interested. I don't know if it's within their interest to really push that hard for um, ethics reform. And that's not to say all these legislators are, are bad. I just think there's there's a reason they're not that they're not uh, into ethics reform. And will they do more for upstate? Or since the real Democratic power base, the Democratic Party power base is in the city and maybe it's close by suburbs, maybe they won't do that either. Yeah, it's hard to know. I don't, I think there's some real questions there about what changes, if anything, for upstate. In some ways, thinking about it a bit more, I think it gives uh, Governor Cuomo almost more authority when he speaks to, you know, the leadership in the legislature to kind of convince them that upstate needs certain things that he would like like us to have. I don't think you have anyone really at the table who knows that much about upstate to kind of offering mm-hmm. offer a countering a countering viewpoint or to say, well, maybe there's we should do this instead. But you know, I mean, thinking about it even more when the Senate was controlled by Republicans, which is always sort of regarded as upstate's, upstate's voice at the table, you know, I feel like there are a lot of issues in upstate that were left out in the cold. So, mm-hmm. you know, are we left out even more in, in the cold? I'm not, I'm not so sure of that. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. I mean, again, there's a lot of questions. So, It'll be interesting to see what happens or doesn't happen. Sarah Foss is with us, news columnist for the Daily Gazette. You write fairly often about the uh, casinos, plural, uh, because in your city of uh, license or whatever, in Schenectady, there's a uh, relatively new casino. But you did a column, and I had, you know, it was all news to me. Uh, I've gone to the casino a few times and used the slot machines. But the Saratoga Springs Casino is advertising it has the loosest slots compared to Rivers Casino and Schenectady and other upstate casinos. What do they mean by that? Well, what they mean by that is that if you 
play their slots, you're more likely to win because they return a higher percentage of their of the money that goes into their slots to 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 players. And you know, there's you can check these um, percentages with the state gaming board. And it's not just hype on their advertising billboards. It's it's actually true. Um, according to the state, uh, the Saratoga Racino returns you know about 92% of the money that goes into those machines to players. And Rivers, it's a bit lower. It might be 91 Rivers and Schenectady, mm-hmm. and that doesn't sound like a huge difference. And it's pretty much in range with most of the casinos I sort of looked at to see you know what kind of payout rates they have. But I think the case that, you know, casino experts would make is that it doesn't sound like a big difference, but so much money passes through these machines that, you know, if you withhold more money and keep it for yourself as a casino, that could potentially be millions more in in revenue. So, you know, people who play slots a lot, they're they're on the hunt for where you can find the loosest really? slots. Yeah. And actually if you just just using Google when I was sort of looking around, you know, I could find you can find complaints about from from gamblers when they rate casinos, they'll say things like, "Oh, the slots were kind of tight," you know. So, it's something they sort of pay attention to where you're more likely to I would you know to say, I would say win but also maybe lose less or lose more slowly I mean yeah. you're not going to you're not going to walk out overall uh winning across the board but you know there may be more payouts if you and go to a casino that has the well, loose slots could we develop sort of a loose slots war like they used to have gasoline price wars you know the, the like now it's Saratoga, but Rivers Casino say, well, look, we got to beat Saratoga. So they make their slots looser. Yeah, you certainly could. And actually where I got the idea to write that column was uh, from a Boston Globe story that sort of looked at kind of the way casinos in Massachusetts and maybe neighboring states like Connecticut had adjusted their their payout rates as they tried to lure, you know, gamblers to their facilities. So, Casinos will definitely pay attention to what their competitors are doing and make adjustments. You know, looking at the upstate casinos, I didn't, I didn't find a lot of evidence that they were. You know, their their payout rates were. You know, you know they were pretty consistent. I couldn't point to like, oh, mm-hmm. then this casino opened and suddenly they dropped their payout rate by two points or percentage points or anything like that. They're fairly consistent in what they return to players. You've been listening to Talk of the Town with our guest Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. No Talk of the Town next Sunday, our Thanksgiving weekend break. In two weeks, our guest will be Albany County Sheriff Craig Apple. I'm Bob Cudmore.